This is Aaron from the show. First of all, thank you for listening. Once you finish listening to this episode, do us a solid. Go ahead and give us a rating and write a review of the show. This lets us know that we're doing a good job and helps other people find us. And speaking of other people, if you know someone who might enjoy the show, we would love it if you told them about it. We can be found at gttgp.com. There's tons of stuff on there. You can learn more about us. There's an episode guide. And of course, you can find our social media pages where we love geeking out with our listeners. Now, let's get to the good part. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we are tackling level six. We are not tackling it chapter by chapter because all of this rolls together. No, we are finishing this tonight. We are nailing down the rest of this book. Yeah. Like Z taken down. Well, I don't want to do any spoilers, really. But let's let's get started. We, We ended the last chapter with him. Poof. Appearing in Anorak's Anorak's Anorak Anorak's castle, with his hand slowly caressing the red button, the shiny red button, the candy-like red button, Ooh. and that's that's kind of where it drops us off. And it, this is my favorite part of the book. Like we've had issues along the way. I mean, I think I said at the end of the last recording that this is when it it finally gets good here, like consistently good. Yeah. This is where it's, it's hard to not go to the next chapter. I, I'm pretty sure that at this point, when I was reading it the first time, it was, I made a commitment to, if I start, I'm finishing this level. Like, I, I remember looking at how many pages are left, like the thickness of the paper, and I'm like, you know what? I can do this. And I am pretty sure it was like, two or three in the morning by the time I finished. And it was, it was, oh boy. It was tough, but had to be done. This is some good classic work. This is well thought out. I I got to wonder if some other stuff wasn't just called in, but this was the grand exit, if you will. This was that, that moment where you had to have been thinking about, whenever you, whenever you imagine a story, there are points that are highly detailed in your mind, really kind of like the chef's kiss of detail, the thing you're really trying to nail down, the point that you're trying to get home. Everything builds to this. And here we are. We're at that place. Level six is that small set of chapters. So do you think, because not, I would imagine that not every author writes things linearly. Do you think maybe he had the idea for the end of this book maybe early on? Well, and and yeah, then backfilled. I think so. Like I, I this felt really well fleshed out. And it's hard to do action scenes, right? It's hard to say they fought because and there you go. They fought. How many ways are you going to like it, how do you describe a fight? And I didn't have a problem imagining it in this chapter, like somebody slamming down a kick or throwing a punch. Like I could actually imagine the fight. Like there's some really good descriptors in here. To, to me, it just brought me right back to the 
the battle at Castle Anorak from the first book. Mm-hmm. Like I just like the I could just picture it like enough. Like it drew enough of that picture in my brain that it was it was engaging for me, and I I that's why I enjoyed this part of the book, particularly this kind of back and forth between the anorak study or whatever he calls it and the the battle going on outside with with og and or and or well that's later well let's 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 crack into it right this is really we're gonna we're gonna divide this down into three parts three three parts now first part is going to be obviously the freeing of og part two is going to be the battle of og and anorak and part three is going to be really the follow-up right and the kinds of things that that the ability to bring everybody back to life and and really the twist that plays in the story. But before we get too deep into that, let's talk about first the battle to break out Og. So first and foremost, the ability to be in the game and the ability to control shit outside of the game. They already set up this possibility. So I, I kind of like that we had this 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 idea that they're going to be op- operating these sort of robots that go into Og's house to pull Og out and save him. And had they not talked about, remember how we were discussing at the very beginning of the book, how it was weird that, that Z would be able to get into one of those robot security robots and walk around and do the sleuthing. Oh yeah. I think I know where you're going with this. That was, that was setting us up for this which was the ability for him. How was he going to be a part of the fight, right? How is he going to go and, and break Og out of his own home, his old home? And it was that he, he was going to pilot one of those security drones from within the simulation. So I thought that was kind of interesting. There, there wasn't that question of, hold up, this is wholly new. They already demonstrated that earlier in the book. Did, did it bother you as much as it bothered me that no. somehow, <laughs> probably not, how did they let Samantha slash Artemis put herself at risk in a war zone? Yeah. Scare quotes. Like, in an unexpected situation, right? You're going into this house. Evidently, there's a bunch of military drones inside. They're and, never letting her do that. And uh, obviously... Well, I mean, could you stop her? Yeah. I think that's just indicative of her character. She's... Right? Because we already talked about... Let let me me put it to you in other terms. (laughs) She is the only person of the remaining four people in the high five... Right. ...who is not being held hostage. She She could potentially be the only heir to the company... And it was mentioned that, that that he was thinking, "Hey, good play, right? Everyone dies, you take over. Very nice." But this is really surprised you. I mean, she jumped out of a plane, and we had what a thirty-minute conversation about. There's no way she knew how to jump out of a plane and, and parachute st- down. Stand by that every day of the week. And she's a, she's an action hero in real life as well as in the game. Here's the thing, though: like the, people can be action heroes if they act like action heroes in real life. Uh, it, it, she did, it seems. No, 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 but you have to like, 
Like you don't just, you're not an expert at jumping out of an airplane the first time you do it. Most right. of, like this is a society that mostly lives inside of a simulation. Right. They, so hold on though. Let me ask you a question. If, if you were put on a, if you put an O and I on and you experienced fully what it would take to jump out at full simulation of a plane. How does that not translate over? That I'll give you. She's never put one on. Fine, but she has been in a regular rig, and that's pretty realistic as it is. I guess, but did she ever do a the jumping out of the plane simulation? Dude, is that, you, remember is you can you enough? can scale mountains with Batman. Like a lot I, of the shit that happened from the first book. So I'm just saying maybe. there's only so much traditional Oasis rig can can get you. So what you're so, saying uh, is that, that you found it you found it hard to believe that she's gonna go running in in human form, not in a robot or a drone. Well, she was supposed to be in like some sort of like she was in the uh, that's what they were trying to. That's what he was trying to say is that she was in a robot, but it was the medical robot, like in it. Oh, oh, okay, okay, like a suit. Yeah, I guess so. Like it was some sort of armory type thing. No, oh, okay. Well, then that's there you go. But somehow, yeah. I mean, this might be moving. This is still. And know. mind you, like first off, this this particular chapter I thought was good. We get in there. We we see. A, I guess a, a, a bot version of Anorak. Yeah, right. Because he's also in a drone, and we see Sorrento, and uh, and if this really kind of brings to a head all of the experience with Sorrento in the last book, and in this book. But he's less pervasive in this book. He's more annoying than anything else. He feels very much like a bit of a caricature. Uh, right. Like There's. There was just something. If the main evil her. guy became a sidekick. Kind of. Yeah. Like it, it, he kind of almost came across very campy or whatever. It was just something weird about the way he was written for this book. Well, he's not the main character anymore. We, we know what his motivations are to the most part for the, to the most extent, we know what his motivations are, but I, I, I do the fact that that Anorak has come to a place where he, he currently is in a situation where he has to do a deal right and the rub here is Z isn't coming down out of his fortress if he dies everything that Anorak wants is trapped in a room he can never get to but at the same time Anorak's not going to let everybody wake up because that's his only card that's the only card he has left to get what he wants. So the fact that he was kind of like, well, I told him we were going to let him go. But as you can see, he's doing his own thing now. Yeah. And then we have the, I guess, sort of reveal from Sorrento that, you know, hey, we had a deal. You were going to give me access to the red button or and I was going to have my revenge, which I think is a great reference to oh, and yeah. kind of weaving in 
to the canon, the Andy Weir fanfic. Right. So reflection back, the Andy Weir fanfic has to do with Sorrento trying to get on the inside, trying to take down the Oasis, because as that Andy Weir fanfic piece led to, Sorrento's sister died due to addiction and and being overly involved in the Oasis, and that his whole goal was to get on the inside and figure out how to take the entire thing down. So this cool reference, you got that's a great point. That that is a, a fantastic throwback reference to Andy Weir's fanfic that that was basically claimed as canon. That it was, I mean, yeah. it was loved and is boom, it's stamped. That's canon. We're gonna figure out a way to, to loop that back in. And this is a this was a really cool way to do it. So while Sorrento didn't play like a big part, he was more of a secondary character. He was not the big boss we all thought he was. He was a minor boss. Big boss was Anorak. Yeah. So there is something about this part that did bother me. I don't know if you came up with it. What's that? Or if maybe if it kind of crossed your mind a little bit. But you have Sorrento's kind of, I don't know, what do you call it? A bit of a, I don't know. I guess when he reveals his his motivation and and this and his like their little deal that Anorak then kind of says, eh, no, just kidding. I'm trying to get to the point. Okay, here it is. We had an agreement, Anorak. Sorrento shouted, and this wasn't it. I did my part. Now do yours. Give me what you promised. He pressed the gun harder to against Og's temple and glared directly at me. I want my revenge. I want to destroy the Oasis forever. He shifted his gaze back to Anorak. Give me access to that big red button right now or I'll spray Mr. Morrow's brains all over the wall. It's up to you. Now, we know what he why he's saying that. We've read the fanfic. Mm-hmm. Parzival did not read that fanfic. Mm-hmm. He has no idea. Shouldn't he be saying, wait a minute, he knows about the big red button? Yeah, I don't know. We really did. It didn't linger on that at all. That's a good question. No. Just kind of like, oh. Well, it is away. kind of heat of the moment. He's not going to be like, okay, hold the fuck up. Hold on, hold on a second. But, what? but how many times in this book have, have we kind of had a Parzival aside like, oh, you said this thing. wonder what that means. Or, uh, she gave gave me this look. They're in the midst of rescuing Og. They're not going to pause, right? I mean, I wouldn't expect like a book to be in the midst of an action scene and somebody calls timeout. But I I get what you're saying, though, because it's kind of like you fucking told him about the red button because Anna could have told him about the red button. That would make sense. They're working together. And I want to, in some ways, it would have been more real to me if he at least wondered. Did Anorak tell him about the big red button? What is this revenge he's talking about? He wants to re- make revenge on me? Like, none of that would... Would, would make sense to him as a character, because he's on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. But but we know. Yeah. Well, kind of an awkward I mean, situation, because you have to write in what we already know. And chances are, for him to say, I want to destroy the world... That's something that Anorak already knows. He's talking to Anorak. He doesn't actually have to narrate that. So it, it's yeah, the conversation seemed awkward to me. 
above and beyond that, though. A bit. Uh, I, I like it. the fight scene. I like the fact that all of a sudden the bots activate because because Sorrento's kind of rigged himself up in a paranoid sort of way to, that the robots are going to activate and kill everyone. It just and then and then for and and this is the part also I thought was kind of interesting from a technology perspective because there was that whole buildup of Z being in this fortress, if you will, inside of this chair that had like huge protective capabilities. It's basically oh, a robot the, with turrets and guns. The motive. Yeah, that that so we we knew again. This is a situation where we are prepped for this. There's reasoning that's been explained. Right. And now we get to this place where he's like, they're only a couple miles away. And then he raises his carapace to the top level and then runs and, and saves everybody by having his weapons defend him. And then having robot arms pop out of this, this armored carapace chair protective chamber and carry the, the ambulance back to a safe place. Became a little hard to imagine, but yeah, still, I was kind of like, that's cool. All right, whatever. Yeah, I, I, yeah. This is one of those situations where I was really well into this that uh, really didn't stumble over these little things. I was just kind of moving I, through it. I didn't stumble over the first time I read it, but when I was rereading for prep, maybe the third or fourth time, mm -hmm. I'm thinking to myself, this is a society where most people have nothing, right? And yet, People are spending tons of money on these mobile vaults to protect themselves and while they're using their O&I and things like that. Well, it's... hold on, though. Wouldn't you? I mean, people this day and age who have money have panic rooms that are secured. Or, it, God forbid, you live in a place with really shitty weather like tornadoes and stuff. You have your own little protective room to hide from that like a storm shelter this is i don't find this to be at all unusual that if it's not unusual but like i just it just seems like your market is really small because only the people that can really like that those things can't be cheap they well just yeah can't. but the market for ferraris is small too fair point <laughs> i mean it's one of those it's if you're wealthy and you're going to have an O&I on, you're going to be totally vulnerable. There's no waking up. You're totally vulnerable. And he is, Z is the richest person in the world. The most, arguably the most powerful person in the world at this point. Now um, he's got his robes back. Definitely. But I mean, even from a money perspective, even from a societal perspective, right? He's building a spaceship. He's got a luxury mansion he has all of the best equipment and it's he runs the single the largest it would be as if somebody owned the internet all of the internet that's pretty much exactly what it is it's exactly what well i mean like we have the internet but no one person really owns the internet and it's vast and huge but to imagine one person getting a little bit of money out of every transaction on the internet all of the internet like that's power. That's yeah. that is. I mean, we're Z is the most powerful person in the world in this book, which is really scary when you consider kind of all the weird. What an idiot he can be! Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. To put it bluntly. Yeah. But I mean, could you imagine being the most powerful person in the world? And not even because you're the smartest person or the best person, but because you knew what somebody else really liked because you were a diehard fan. Because he won sudden, a video game. Because he won a video game. All of a sudden, he's the most powerful person in the world. What? Nothing prepares you for that. It It's kind of like, I mean, this is a little bit of a kind of current reference, but it's kind of like going to a baseball game and catching a record-breaking ball. Yeah. Which is a thing that's going on right now. And then as like, a result of having caught the ball, you now you, own the ball club. Or, that's not skill. You have no or, idea. Or, or people are stumbling over their feet to pay you a ton of money just for catching that ball. Yeah. So, so like, I mean, to put in perspective, like right now they're in, in baseball, mm-hmm. there's a player who I, I don't, I'm sure most of our listeners probably don't care, but who's on the verge. You do? I don't. Oh, you don't. You don't um, care. I don't know whom you're going to be talking about, but but go on. So anyway, so there's there there's a 61 year old record that's going to be broken at any particular moment right now. Okay. The record is tied. It's for the most home runs hit in a season by an American League player. Right. The record is 61. He's hit 61. And some collectibles company or somebody has offered whoever catches that ball. Two million dollars. That's all. Okay. That's a that's a sh- I mean that's a ton. That's a lot of money, but and, and, and it, so and but it was funny because like I was watching I was watching the game when this particular guy hit number sixty one, and no fan caught it, but a fan came close, and you could see the disappointment on their face because they basically dropped a winning lottery ticket. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have got garnered two million dollars, but I imagine could have gotten something for it. Sure. And it, like to me, it's it, it's almost it's similar to that, where it's it's not like, like you you were just there, you got lucky. Yeah. And and suddenly you have all this stuff and and yeah, the right skills at the right time, and and barely even luck. the skills. I yeah. mean, like in this case, it's just. You got into the mosh pit and you picked up the ball off the ground, or you have, like I said, you happen to watch all the right movies and play the right video games. I mean, granted, I'm not saying there's not skill in that and that it didn't take a little bit of effort on his part, but it's not like you you go to go from the guy who created this virtual world to a guy who just played in it. I mean, it's a pretty huge leap. Or to go from playing in it to now running, running it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's nuts. Yeah, I agree. It's so there's some degree of forgiveness there, and the idea that here's a person who is all powerful on both sides of in real life, and in the oasis, he's a god, and he, but he's a human with godlike power and just doing the best a human can do in that kind of circumstance. There's no training for that. Keep that in mind if you ever become a god. There's no training to prepare you for well, that. Holy if someone unique. asks you if you're a god, what do you say? Well, you say yes. But anyhow, so we've rescued Dog, but he's in poor condition. We don't know what he's going to be able to do. He's kind of in and out. And, uh, and let's face it, we've got Anorak to contend with. 
which moves us into our second act of three, which is the fight with Anorak. Yep. So again, one of those situations where we're going in and it's, oh shit, I'm all in. I can't stop listening. Because I listen, I don't read. (laughs) I can, but I don't. And this was, again, an awesome move, but also a little weird. Like, again, we're in a situation where it's a bit of a stalemate. And and it now turns into a bet. I bet that I can beat you. That that in a fight I could take you on, or no, and not that he could take him on. Is I'm suggesting a battle of the wits. Yeah, to the kind of to the death to the death. I accept. And then to trust that Anorak, after all this shady bullshit, is actually going to follow through on that. Now, now, granted. Through all of this, Anorak has been the super shady character, but it f- now it feels kind of like with the fact that he there really wasn't a threat of death per se, just sort of a suspended mental animation, but that he had to lie in order to to kind of get his way to bluff to get his way to trust that he would respect yeah, the, yeah. basically respect the terms of that 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 game. The virtual gentleman's agreement. Yes. Yeah. That, uh, to me, that sounded odd. Like, he's been shady the entire time. Are we really trying to, are we really trying to paint a a silver lining to this dark cloud that he has to deal with? I mean, throughout these pieces of the book, it really did kind of make you feel at least that made me feel a little bit less kind of like, I don't even know how to say this, but you know, leading up to this point, you're like, man, Anorak's a real douche. And like, boy, Halliday was just this evil guy. And then it's, well, he still had a bit of a hint of humanity and that he wasn't going to hold the whole world hostage. And he never really intended to kill people. And then, like, you start thinking about maybe he did actually mean it when he said, oh, I did not intend for Og to get accidentally shot. Yeah, but he intended for him to get tortured. I mean, so so it's kind of like that for me to hurt. It's it's like, really? You don't care. You know, he made the great arguments for not caring, not giving a fuck. Yeah, but it just made you go back and forth between Maybe he's not as terrible as he seems, but oh, wait a minute, he is still as terrible as he seems. And it's just like this, yeah, it just felt like a little bit of like playing bumper cars and in, in your feelings towards the character, or not necessarily Anorak, but Halliday. And that's the thing that I think was always, has been a bit of an interesting challenge in this book is separating Halliday from Anorak. Well, right, right. And I, I think the gist here is that Anorak has gone off the rails. Halliday was obsessed, but then later realized it just wasn't the right thing and, and realized the bad things that it did. And in removing the memories from Anorak, that it warped him. And and Anorak says, I'm not Halliday. Like, I'm better than him. I can do more. I'm I'm quicker on my feet. I'm not Halliday. So I think we can like take Halliday and go, he was a human that made mistakes. 
and now we're talking about Anorak. And Anorak should be an eviler version and should re remain consistently eviler. I felt like there was this trying to humanize Anorak. It, it, in one of the following chapters, it starts off with how Anorak's just like, I want love just like you do. And uh -huh. I could have, and I could have worn Kira down after a couple of decades. Many other men have tried the same thing, and it didn't work. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, you, know she won't love you. You have to have known through her memories. And he's like, well, I could just remove all those memories of Oz, but then she'd be fucked up. Then she'd be warped, right? She'd be corrupted. It wouldn't be her. And we should have just stayed with that. It just felt like we were humanizing Anorak a bit and was softening him up. I mean, like, to come back and say, see, I really wasn't going to kill everyone. No. Anorak should have been like, I'm serious. I will fucking kill everyone if I don't get my way. You know what I mean? I mean, weren't, yeah. weren't you a little kind of like you were bluffing the whole time? Yeah. And maybe really? that was just a way of saving face. But this is Anorak, not Halliday. No need to save face for Eric. No need to look, make him look good in his last battle. Right? Mm. He's a dick. Let's feel good about killing him. I suppose that in some ways it was a little bit of an easy way out of the kind of predicament. Like, how else do you get out of it? Like, you you kill the Avatar, and then it's like, okay, well, now what? Yeah. Like, what else do you... I don't know how you write yourself out of that unless it, they, nobody was ever really in any danger. Yeah, yeah, I, I get you. Uh, well, or you write it out in the sense that there has to be a happy ending. I get that. I just wonder if there was a happy ending that didn't involve Holiday bluffing. Well, not Holiday, excuse me, Anorak bluffing. But let's let's get to point here. Well, it's not it's not like they can create all new artifacts that do all kinds of crazy stuff, like transfer power or let you take one item out of someone's inventory. Only that one item. It's not like they have all the power in the world to just write up new artifacts. Feels like they do. I know they do. <laughs> but it's like, no, 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 no. Let's not do something that's going to actually solve our problem. Let's make sure. Let's let's take the amount of Tylenol that'll kill you, but then dial it back and just call it extra strength. Right. So something that kind of hit me odd was that after the stalling technique that Z is using after his head's starting to pound, because uh, uh, he's getting to a place where he isn't going to be able to take it and he doesn't have to fight. The nice part is he can sit back and not fight, but rather watch as Og introduces himself now using the O&I as Super Og. Right? And something I thought was unusual was that it, through all of this, I've never thought being a nerd was a bad thing for the past two books, right? Geeks are really excited about stuff. Nerds go really deep into the technical details. Z and H and Shoto and Artie, they're all nerds. They go deep, deep into this shit, right? So for Og to come back and say, why don't you pick on somebody your own size, nerd? It just throws me back to nerds the movie. Nerds! It, like, nerds. Why, is, 
Why are we using that like a curse word here? It's so you should have stood up and said, "Hey, now, come on, that's that's going too far. Don't use don't use the n word." <laughs> Seriously, I I just that just struck me as odd. It's like when was being a nerd like a bad thing? Why is why is this word being used this way? We didn't talk about not what? to interject, but the the letter from Halliday to Og. Should the one where the that? one where he where Og basically knows everything that's going on. Yeah, it does take it down well, a weird it, path. I think it humanizes Halliday a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it but, does. It kind of shows that that continued division between Halliday and Anorak. The Anorak's look. Here's your hero. I'm not your hero. I'm a warped version of your hero, but here's your hero. He knew it. He did this thing. He was a horrible human being. But we knew that by now. I wasn't but, surprised. But, but he also expre expressed regret. Yeah. He knew he did the wrong thing. So, like, I, I feel like this, these sets of chapters were meant to remind us that it wasn't Halliday. Like, Halliday's not been keeping everybody hostage. It's been Anorak. And that right. Anorak is a corruption. Right. And I... That point was just, yeah. You thought that was, it was hammered pretty hard. Yeah. Hammered. So I, I didn't want to have us miss that. Nope, but. nope. That's a good point. So in a battle such as this, it's interesting because they go fisticuffs, right? They're they're doing the whole, the whole uh, Superman fighting. General Zod kind of situation where they're flying around, doing big punches, things are exploding, things are getting pounded into the dirt. What weapon would you bring to bear in a fight like this? Oh, and by the way, you don't have giant nerd slayer sword. Dork slayer, excuse me, dork slayer sword. So like a weapon from, from pop culture? Anything, that I, bring I don't to... care, whatever you want to imagine. I don't fucking know. You give me time to prepare an answer. On, on the fly, man. I'm trying to think of the coolest weapon that I know from, like, movies and stuff like that. Ah, oh, boy. I guess, like, I've been so out of it. Take What's time. Yours? Get, no, get, give me some inspiration. I, uh... I... I... I think I would pull a Thanos, not the snap, mind you. But when he's fighting on the planet and he brings another planet down to smash into the planet. Like, that's a pretty cool weapon. It, it, I get the, the wanting to swing the swords and, and the mallet to break out of the, the egg-shaped force field. But to actually pull down a planet into your planet in order to crush your enemy. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, a little <laughs> physics defined, but okay. A little bit? Okay, fine. Like a meteorite, maybe? Just to summon a meteorite from the sky to just strike so, someone? So your weapon of choice is a planet? Well, sure. Yeah, maybe a moon. Okay. Uh, a small one. Small moon. Or even a very fast-moving meteorite. Something to just absolutely crush and obliterate a person right into the Earth's core. Oh, man. I am working on good weapons. Let's let's face it. It's a video game, so I can freaking chicksalube somebody with a giant space rock. See, I don't do video games, so like I—that's uh... not from a video game, I might add. Like I'm just 
trying to think of what's overkill. It sounds like that's overkill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's the point. Well, I'm gonna just declare myself wholly unprepared for answering this question. Well, it's hard because again, it's like, what would you do to destroy Superman? And you didn't have kryptonite. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Right. In some I'm, ways, I'm not, I'm not even it, sure smashing a planet into Superman's going to really. It might piss him off. He'll brush it off. It's fine. Or he'll just yeah. like fly through. Yeah. I, I, just a flesh wound. Yeah, uh, but yeah. It's it. Questions without questions that have limitless possibilities for answers are very tough for me. Or moreover, that the power between the two, the, whoever you're fighting, is unlimited. Obviously, fisticuffs isn't going to cut it. It may sound really cool, but you're really just delaying the other person's response. You're not yeah. you're not putting per se a nail in the coffin. So it's an interesting question. If you're listening, go to our Facebook page and tell us what you would bring to this fight. Yeah. And if we were on YouTube, I'd say and subscribe and ring the bell or something. We are on YouTube. You, you can like subscribe and ring the bell. Yeah. Do that now. It's right here. Yeah, it's right, right up there. in this place. That's okay. one thing that really annoys me about you watching YouTube these days. What that's the self promotion that this if you like to subscribe. Oh. I have seen some good creative asks for subscription. But but that that aside that aside yeah. okay so we have the big fight and there's that what does he do he he I want to say it's not he doesn't warp away but he he disappears and reappears and whoops slings the sword and cuts him in half this is after he's taken out Artemis and Lohengrin mm-hmm. right. Lohengrin shows but, up to give the sword. Poof, Lohengrin's gone. Effortless. effortless yeah, just, just blowing ashes in the wind. Just poof. Don't even have to really dust think about it. in the wind. All they you are know, is level, dust in the wind. Level 99, poof, gone. Nothing. 99 doesn't even get close to infinity. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, at this point, though, does that even set you back? Does that even concern you? I mean, I mean, in some ways, it's much. It's a lot like real wars that, like, individual deaths are just kind of like they don't matter because they're just kind of they're trying to help the if their death stalls the onslaught, so that way you can get a foothold and then take swing things your way. Like that's it's part of the battle. Yeah, you know, no, I like, get you. I I feel the opposite. I, was I feel very like ineloquent there. When I hear that hundreds or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands or millions of people died, it's such a it's just a number. But when you like narrow it down to like individual stories, that's where I kind of connect. But yeah. at this point in the book though, to hear that they've their avatars have been toasted, I'm like we've already lost almost everyone else. Uh, and it's and there's really no stakes to it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, yeah, their avatar doesn't exist anymore. They either have to make a new one, or as we know, they're going to get resurrected anyway. Well, and we didn't know that though. But I mean, we I mean, we know that now, but like we did not know that then. 
we could only presume that if things worked out, that Parza would just be like, yeah, I'm going to do what I did at the end of the first book, and I'm just going to give everybody back all their shit. Yeah, which which is what happened. Yeah. When we really talk about it here, that's that's what ends up happening. Which takes us into, well, first off, after the battle, Og's avatar disappears. Well, we know that he is in trouble because he has the little the little the blinky, X. the blinky red X, the symbol. But we know no. that he is physically in distress, and then he fades away. No, which was probably the most heartfelt loss for me in the book. The idea I mean, that that we we're moving towards a happy ending, but when you know that this character has died, and that's the case. I mean, it, I mean, remember? I don't know how well you remember when we were talking about the. The, the first book as a whole but like Og was always this kind of character that I wish there was more of and and I think I remember saying uh, earlier on in this book when I was reading some of my notes before I had no known what was going to happen I was like oh they better not hurt Og don't you dare kill Og well I didn't yeah. feel like they could right well at the beginning of this book they could right yeah and he had to stay alive because that's that's kind of the hinge here. Like he's a, he was a key player, and it would be weird if they just came into the house and he was already dead. <laughs> oh well, hmm, that didn't turn out. It, that wasn't going to work. So I didn't really think he was going to that, die. That's where you get the whole "it's a trap." Yeah, yeah. But the fact that that it doesn't move in the direction of that happy ending like you hope. I mean. Even as we move into the story, to those final chapters, even as we know that, that Og died, bringing Kira back, or, or assembling the crystals, them realizing that she really did intend for her crystals to potentially be brought back, that Og didn't object, and, and them actually bringing her back and her saying, I thought nobody would come for me. And and where's Og? Is he still alive? And them having to break to her. He died just minutes ago. And then she's like, yeah, I just finished reading that. Oh, yeah, on the internet. But they weren't specific. I'm like, mm. well, some asshole's going to get on a chat board and go, didn't she have access to the internet? Couldn't she have figured that out? So he, I'm sure he was thinking some jackass is going to say that, so I might as well address it. As he probably should. Yeah. So, in that moment, I was kind of like, well, fuck. That was, that was the most heartfelt moment for me. That was one of those that was kind of like, fuck, they did actually. Do I care that Halliday was, yeah, Halliday's avatar was killed off Anorak? No, I don't care. For obvious reasons, because now he's just been villain. Villainized? Been villainized and, and, kind of brought to that place where we're like Jesus that's fucked you it, the revenge porn was light here but I still didn't care that he got killed let me put it that way no, I'm not sure any, everybody's probably like oh good no that's out of the way we can move on but you know Og gone was, was a heart tugger Yeah, and then they kind of drilled into that but then of course the fact is that his entire memory was scanned only took a half an hour and that they could bring him back. And they do. And then we realize that, well, not only can they raise the dead of everybody that suffered under this 
day's worth of time and craziness, but that they could bring back to life anyone who had used the ONI headset and had passed on, including Artie's grandma. Yeah. And, and any multitude of people. Now they become, if you will, these artificial intelligence NPCs. Or what do you call them? DPCs? Dead player characters. Yeah. Which is a great. I, I thought it was digital player characters. Oh, <laughs> whoops. I forgot <laughs> about that. I totally thought dead it was thought it was dead player characters. Doesn't that make more sense? What, everything is a, any NPC is digital. What are we saying? I'm trying to but, find that. No, part fuck that. They're, they're dead player characters. I like dead player characters <laughs> so much better. So let me ask you a question. Like, there's there's this concept of oh, digitized player characters. No, dead player characters. Screw that. I'm just telling you what the book says. I'm sure. But they they keep kind of mentioning that they're immortal now. So would you consider? If you were going to die, recording your mind and sticking it in the oasis, would you consider that to be immortality? No. Why not? I don't know, because I feel like immortality sort of implies that like you're in your original shell. Okay. This kind of goes back to the question of of if 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 you're on board the Enterprise, and we beam you down to a planet, and we tear apart the atoms in your body, store it, the pattern of it, in a buffer, shoot that energy down planet side, and reassemble you on the surface of the planet. Are you the same person on the planet that you were before you beamed down? Technically, probably not. Okay, I want to take this to another step. If they've done studies as to the age of the body, like different parts of your body, I will not recycle, but rebuild at different rates. So there are parts of your body that are genuinely as old as you are, but most parts of your body are not. In fact, the one part of your body that does not get regenerated is in your eye. It's the cornea of your eye. And that's from birth to when you die, it's the same thing. Everything mm-hmm. else in your body dies and is rebuilt. It's like, yeah, there's some sort of cycle, I forget what they call it, but it and well originally, it like when I was younger, they were like every seven years, everything in your body re- and that's not true. Right? Your skin becomes it basically sloughs off and gets replaced and renewed something like every 14 days. Your brain has parts of it that are can be up to 20 25 years old other parts of your body are are replaced in shorter periods of time but i guess what i'm getting to is i'm in my 40s say for that little bit of cornea in my eye every part of my body has been reconstructed from something else there's an, i am a carbon copy of who i was when I was in my teens, there's almost nothing left of me that remains from when I was a child. Nothing. If that's the case, then while I do carry the form, I'm not who I was. 
but piece by piece. So then the question is, I'm not asking if I'm immortal, but what I'm really asking is, does it matter? Right? If, if every piece of you, if you're just a carbon copy, not the original you, but your consciousness has moved through seamlessly and you are still continuing on the same form, wouldn't you be, in a sense, immortal if that was the case in some other way, such as mm. beaming you down? Does that I make sense? It, Did I communicate it, that well enough? Yeah, no, and and I think you you may have convinced me that may, that maybe the whole beaming analogy or not analogy, but the example of the beaming mm-hmm. is maybe maybe you still are the same person, but partly because you're using the same format. Yeah, same form. There are, but, but when you're digitized, you're not the same format anymore. You are a not the same format, maybe the same form. But yeah, but... Oh, I'll give an example. Like there, are, there are temples in Japan that over hundreds and hundreds of years have been re- rebuilt and repaired, but it keeps the same spirit of the temple. They do consider it to be the same temple, even though there's no piece of it that hasn't been replaced. But the reason why it keeps the same sort of sacredness and personality of the temple is because the form is considered more important than that which makes up the form. When you're talking about buildings and stuff, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Sure, because you go to it, it looks the but, same. But the thing if, is, like, if the if these temples, like, they have wood beams and glass windows and whatever, and you're replacing them with different wood but the same shape and different glass but in this the same color mm-hmm. and the same size and cut and whatever you're 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 maintaining the same intent of the design right where, and the, the design uh, holds and, would you say the and, design holds the intent sure but but part of what makes that uh, part of what gives it its its value i'm going to part of what conveys the spirit of the original intent is that you're using like materials sure but when when you take a a human soul like we're doing here and digitizing it this isn't the same material this would be like recreating one of these temples that it's probably out of wood and I, i don't know the temples in particular but let's let's say for the for the sake of this case let's say it's it's 90 percent wood and other materials so we're going to say it's wood so we're going to say okay but instead of recreating out of wood we're going to do we're going to recreate out of plastic is that the same no sure if you can pull it off if you can make it look the same if it can keep the same form if you if you painted it to look like wood and it was convincing maybe would it be the same no but again I think but, that there's an argument for form, that, that form contains the spirit. But form experienced how? The same? Ah, that's a good question. Because in the Oasis, with an O and I, everything looks as real as it would anywhere else. It has the same, right? Skin feels like skin. Books feel like books. Apples taste like apples, even with the same crunch. Okay, right? so, so okay. it's digital. But the experience with the form is 
identical to your experience with a form outside. So if we can get pseudo-spiritual at this point. Sure. So let's say in, in, in many cultures, religions, there's a thing called the afterlife where you get to experience it, I guess, in some ways in your original form or approximation of your form. But not everybody else that like is still alive can right. experience it that way. You have elevated yourself. You've you've transcended into a different place. You are, from your perspective, the same form, mm -hmm. but not to everyone else. To those are who are to those who are still say that again. I mean. If you've transcended into a different type of, of, I'll say life form, but a different type of. A different type of being. spiritual existence. Yeah. Even though it might mimic or mirror your form. It might mimic or mirror it, but if what you, if the form, if the way you were experiencing it originally is not the same, if, if you couldn't experiencing it, bleh, if you couldn't experience that, the same way in your previous form and you're now in a new form, are you the same? I don't know. This is for uh, philosophizers. Well, I, I guess the real question is, does your consciousness transition? And I think that there's a solid line here in the book. There's an understanding that Kira knows as her, as her digital, as her avatar self, as her dead player character self, she acknowledges that she is not who she was that Anorak acknowledges he's not Halliday, right? And as we move through and we recognize that that a copy of, of Z and, and Artemis are on the spaceship in the Oasis flying off to another planet while Z and, and Artemis are having kids planet side like there's there's that delineation of we know that it's a copy if there's no continuation right there's no no i walked onto the pad my energy was broken apart i was zapped onto the planet i mean you could argue that the person was killed by being vaporized technically and then just the vapor was reconstructed to carry on and that the consciousness is also reconstructed. The machine is reconstructed and picks back up from where its memories ended. So I, I, I think that's like a, an interesting argument to have that your form, that your form maybe carries your consciousness with it. But in this book, we recognize the fact that they acknowledge the fact that they are not their dead selves, right? That when Artemis is connecting with her grandmother, we know that's just a copy. We know it's not her real grandmother. Or is it? Or, and there is kind of, you ask that, so there is kind of that feeling like, well, she was here, it's a copy of her. It is intelligent. It is playing back from the point that the recording occurred, the last recording she had, that's kind of like being reassembled and the reassembled version after beaming to the planet side is you picking up from the last memories you had on the pad. I don't know where I am on this, I guess is what I'm getting at, because the book definitely has a delineation, 
but also treats this as a level of immortality. Case in point, the grandma. It, 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 I, I will go as far as say, I will go as far as to say it is a form of immortality, right? But not living forever. You're thinking like a legacy immortality, but like a dynamic legacy. I, I wish I could come up with a good analogy for, but I mean, this is on the edge kind of shit. When when people spend a, a, a pretty fortune to have their head cut off and thrown into a bath of liquid nitrogen with the hopes that whatever disease they had will be curable and they'll be able to rebuild the body or maybe map the brain to then create another, cellularly create the, the same you, a copy of you, regrow a you, if you will. But then even if you used a handful of cells to inspire the growing of a copy of you, that's people still consider that to be a sort of degree of immortality, although paused, frozen, paused. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. That's the anticipation. They cut off your head with the hopes that they'll be able to regrow back a body and fix the problems in the future. But then is that really immortality? That, that, that's for people who's smarter than me. Fine, but I'm asking. I am. I am that's, this a is a technology man. thing, right? The book actually grapples with this, I think, interestingly. Uh, what I did appreciate was that they acknowledged that people were not ready for this whole concept and that they kept the number of people that they immediately put on the, the escape uh, on the Vonnegut very small. Like what, in the oasis active. of, of and, the Vonnegut and, and, and Arcadia. Yeah. Yeah. And they said that they weren't, it sounded like they weren't going to tell people, Hey, we're doing this. They just kind of did it. We're going to copy all the UBS files and just put them on the boat, send it out. Into... So like, they acknowledge that there's just this multifaceted dilemma with doing this. Well, and it seems like they acknowledged it as a creative, it was a creative way of what I, what is referred to as that singularity, that point when AI becomes intelligent. But in this case, what we've done is we've copied an intelligence, we've mapped an intelligence of biologically speaking, and then reproduced and, and turned that intelligence on in a copy of that form. So in this case, these 
dead player characters are AI and they are an intelligence and and it has become that singularity now where they can travel any distance, any length of time. It doesn't matter the hazards of space. They can get in an avatar robot and go around on a planet where they can figure out how to build an approximation. But the gist here is that it's no longer humans exploring. There's a new form of life that has been created by this. And that new form of life is now exploring the universe. I would describe it as a new form of life and not necessarily immortality. But I want to transition this to a question, which I'm pretty sure I know the answer that most people would give. But I, and I think I know what you're going to say, is that if if you had the option of putting on an ONI headset, yeah. getting the brain scan, and then saying, we're going to take your consciousness and recreate you in the same way that they did in this book, and this form of you is going to be able to live forever as it goes to seek out new life and new, and new civilizations out in, in space. Would you be okay with that? Would you be like, yeah, do it? Yes. And let me tell you why. Because at the moment, if I could say that now, and then I could put an ONI headset on, we could map my brain as it is right now. And I would feel ultimately confident that I would wake up in the Oasis and I would have that feeling, those memories, that choice having already been decided. It's kind of like me saying, well, I know what my Oasis person would think because it's a copy of me and that's what I think now. But ultimately, I would be giving myself a choice. It would be kind of like me, again, having my my dead player character in the Oasis and then saying, look, I would want that now, so I know you want that now. But that's a choice for my digital self to continue to make. Because, you know, a digital self can, I would imagine, end its own program. I mean, the the digital self thing, I think we're, the thing that I always kind of grapple with this question to myself is, yeah, I think I would really, I'd be okay with it. Mm-hmm. But boy, would I be jealous of my digital self in, in some ways. Because think about it, you have now achieved a limitless possibility. You can know everything. Mm-hmm. You want to learn Kung Fu? I know Kung Fu. You want to learn 145 different languages? I know 145 different languages. You don't even have to know it. It's just the translation software is built into your, uh, yeah, like your presence. Yeah, it doesn't even matter because everybody's got a babblefish. Right. So there's things like that that would be like, okay, that's kind of cool. But the problem that I think would make me be like a little bit hesitant is this is going back to the whole Incredibles argument is that if everybody's super, then no one is. And then all of a sudden, like, it's it probably gets boring. If you're trying to be super to impress everyone or to be special well, no, in, in I, relation to everyone else, then, yeah, that, that would but, be pointless. If well, everyone's no, super, no, then no one but, is. Well, that's only I, if you I care. My, I think my point is that, if, if you're going on this lifeboat with, I mean, let's say it's a dozen people, mm-hmm. right? And everybody knows everything about anything and can know anything about everything. It You can count the, the time it takes in nanoseconds. Right. What's everybody talking about? Nothing. 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 
You're just existing. You're exactly right. So have you watched The Good Place? I've gotten to season two. Okay. This is dealt with in the last season. Okay, so no spoilers. Well, no spoilers. However, it is possible to get to a place where you've done everything that you want to do, where you have experienced everything you want to experience, where maybe there are no more new experiences. There's no advancement. Your character in life, in your book, is no longer advancing, no longer developing. And when there's only one final experience left, and that is the experience of undoing the self, then it's easy to see how that could become an option. So while you might be envious, I see it as you're offering your character self cheat codes, the ability to know everything, to do anything, to simulate anything, to communicate with anybody at lightning speed, It's a cheat code. And my opinion about cheat codes across the board is I lose interest in the game when I have cheat codes on. Exactly. Because the challenge is ruined. The purpose is is stripped away. The the experience in the doing and the challenges that come from the limitations of being human are non-existent. And as a result, it becomes uninteresting. Well, yeah. I mean, think about it. It's like, what makes life interesting is that you have experiences and then like you recall them and right. And like, it's not the same thing. And you either say, you know what? That was so great. I want to do it again. I really like Red Bull. I want to have some more of that. But like when you're a digital person, all you got to do is be like, Oh, I just experienced a memory, an an exact replay of what I felt then. Yeah. That's another thing is, not being able to forget or distance yourself from memories. That if you have a bad experience, you can live that every day, right? At least they see over time, pain grows. Um, pain is supposed to reduce over time because the memories fade, because the distance between the experience and the present fades. But as a digital presence, it's the replay can be at an instant. It's easy to obsess over those things. And this is why it's like a, it's a different form of life. Yeah, and it's in high fidelity. A really good book that covers this or a series of books is called The Bobiverse. I've and, heard of this. I've heard of The Bobiverse. And it is a really good series. And it's really interesting how they handle that because they, they, they tackle this problem of, of interest in learning new things by, first off, as they duplicate themselves, Bob duplicates himself we find very quickly that that immediate duplication or that branching, if you will, produces a Bob that immediately starts to have its own personality traits. So there is variation from the split. And on top of that, they can adjust their own refresh rate. So that time, a long period of time can seem much shorter. And like the refresh rate on your computer might be 60 megahertz, let's say, or 120, if you've got a fairly cool monitor or more. And that's how many frames per second are you seeing? Well, when you dial that down to one frame per second, time seems to move much quicker. And that's so cool, because that, as you're... So that, 
always on mode for the new iPhones. Exactly. <laughs> but but the idea here that you don't have to spend an enormous amount of time in boring travel, that you can dial your refresh rate to like once a day, once a, capturing a moment once a week, and then like a picture book, to you, it plays as though it's that that time is moving by really quickly. And thus you can get to the thing that's interesting in the universe. You can get to that new star system, that new planet, begin developing, etc. And it can capture and hold your interest. I think the danger isn't in doing everything you want. The danger is in between now and getting to that new interesting thing on the outside and getting bored by not being able to control your own sort of time dilation. Again, the Bobaverse handles that really well. It also handles that whole problem with if, if, if a version of you is tortured, that you wouldn't be able to unremember that or unsee that, that you would experience it in, in, in sharp resolution any time. And if you obsessed over it, then it would be ever-present. Any torture that happened a year ago could be a torture that's happening today in your memories. That is, as humans, we're fortunate that our memories degrade. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that's an envious state to be in. But again, the Bobaverse handles that really well. I feel like I would be just envious of the idea that, like, I would be able to instantly know something that I don't know now. Like, I could learn so fast. I do Kung Fu. Yeah. But, uh, the thing I, is, but the thing is, though, like, that, like as regular human beings that we are now would be novel but as a digital person it would be commonplace so it's like that's not exciting as it or it would get unexciting because everybody else can do it too well hold on though i mean if you're comparing yourself to everyone else as to whether or not you're special to me that doesn't i don't i don't see that as a as a thing like i don't again if there's something i can do it's about how i do it or how I use it to improve myself. If everyone else can do it, well, that's cool. I'm fine with that. I don't. I don't need to be special to to leverage something uniquely, right? No, I mean it's it's not so much about the special, like you being considered special or whatever. It's more about I just you would take it for granted. You can get yeah, out of yeah. bed and walk on two feet every day. There are a ton of creatures in the world that can't do that, that don't do that. We're bipedal. There just aren't a lot of creatures that can do that, right? We get out of bed. We walk on two feet, put on clothing every day. We just take that shit for granted. We don't even think about don't it. Don't even think about it. So maybe the idea here is that some that your digital copy of yourself would immediately start taking for granted the shit you wish you had right now. That's, yeah, so like uh, that's what it comes down to is I feel like the digital version of myself would either have to ev- it would I think it probably would just have to evolve in a way that I can't even understand mm. in order to cope with that new type of existence. If there if there is even coping, like we, it would be limited by the way the operating system of the new form of consciousness would allow me to evolve. All right. So let me ask you a question then. Is is the problem here that your digital self could do cool shit or is the problem here that your digital self would be able to live the best version of you 
that you then you can live. If that makes sense. It's like it can learn anything in, in a flash. You can't. It's instantly smarter than you. You know, that it can simulate experiences that you never will. And now it's instantly more experienced, more worldly than you. That it's literally between the two versions of you is living the best life. Maybe. Like on the surface, it seems like it could very well be the best life, but. So you would be yeah. jealous of the better version of you. Is that the I, fear? I, I, I know. I think at first I would be like, oh man, that would be really awesome to be able to do that. But it's not being framed the right way. I, I feel like if, if there was this faster than light communication and, uh, or hell, even if it was like a copy of me in the Oasis on Earth, right? That I wouldn't want to go to lunch with myself because myself would be bragging about the cool shit that I was doing and learning. I'm like, dude, I just, I fucking learned every form of martial arts yesterday. Let me show you. Whoa! Just fucking nunchucks or, and shit, or, right? Yeah, and I'd be like, yeah. shut the fuck up and eat your virtual sandwich. The, the other version of yourself is to start speaking in every other language. And like, oh, you don't know this yet? Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Oh, it's easy. Oh, it's easy. Let, it's a beautiful let language. Dial, let me dumb it down for you and speak English. <laughs> I think that would be the problem is that I, 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 I wouldn't want to have lunch with myself months down the road, hearing about all of the experiences and knowledge and the appreciation for the things that would take me painfully seeming like forever to match, right? And, Learning another language, for example, would just be, is incredibly challenging to talk to myself going, oh, yeah, yeah, I learned that last month. It's beautiful. I learned it in a day. And, and that's where I feel like there may be some unanswered questions about how experience works in this virtual, for the dead player characters. Do you do you really learn at this instantaneous rate or does it simulate similar learning patterns as your consciousness was used to? Like, I feel like there's just a lot of questions about it, but I would presume that if you're completely digital and we do know that he said that he has instant recall of all his memories and can experience them like as if they were happening, like almost like an O&I recording, mm -hmm. then you have to assume that you just kind of plug plug into the matrix and kung fu. Yeah. Yeah. That you've pulled that pattern in, that you've you don't per se have real muscle memory. At this point it's a pattern. And I don't see this as being much different than say the the art generated AI, AI generated art. Oh man. That stuff is still blowing me away. Every it's amazing. Day. I've been I've been playing with Midjourney. Right. For those of you who don't know, go to midjourney.com and sign up because it's fascinating. But the idea, I think people look at it and they go, oh, it's a picture. What's, what's hard to wrap the brain around is that it's not just a picture. I, I gave a handful of words and this AI has taken millions of images and it's not copying and pasting. It's not taking a real person if it provides you a person. It's taking an amalgamation of patterns, and based on your words, it builds new patterns in high detail in whatever art form you want. It can be a Amazing. cartoon, ultra-realistic. It doesn't matter. 
And that is, it's hard to wrap the brain around the fact that it'll produce an image that is wholly unique, never before created, absolutely non-fungible, which is where the F T and NFT comes from, right? It is a, well, the T part's the token, but the NF part, right? It is a non-fungible, wholly unique product just based on words and patterns. And that's literally learning. Now, there's more to life than just learning, but to your point, if Kira can show up and she can ask, where's Og? And it can be conveyed to her that Og has died and then she generates conversation and empathy. Uh, she knows to go and give a hug. She knows what death means. She's incorporated the fact that her loved one has died and is no longer there. That's learning. That's learning on the fly. That's learning as learning is. The question, I think, is, well, is there, quote unquote, a, a soul? But I don't know that I necessarily believe that there's a soul without form. And if there's a form and it's mimicking the same construct of the brain, then it's it's going to learn, right? It's going to continue on. It's, it's that body that's recreated when you beam down to the planet's surface. You were destroyed and recreated and you carried on from the point that you were destroyed. So uh, anyhow, to wrap around, yeah, I, I do think there's learning and progressing and that if you had lunch with yourself, yourself would be like, oh, yeah, man, I just learned that new language. It took me like a minute. If that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I I think after like a month, I'd be like turning down lunches. You know what? Mm, no. I'm really pretentious when I know everything. Yeah, I'm a dick when I know everything. <laughs> so the first question I was asking myself when that came about was, was the first book written by Digital Parzival 2? I mm. uh-huh because there is a shift in tone mm -hmm. when you get to the whatever he calls it the continue or press start to continue or whatever he called it yeah I, I, I get what you're asking here I don't know if this is really what was going through I don't know if this is the case, but I think the argument could be made, yes. And here's the reason why. I want you to imagine that you're writing a book about yourself, not just describing how you perceived your life, but having to remember con whole conversations had between you and the other characters in your life with accuracy enough that it could be said that, that you're quoting verbatim. The only way you could do that is if you had full access to all of your memories across that period of time. And as such, you could remember in great detail everything that was said, everything that ha happened from your perspective, but you could still recall the conversation with H in her basement in detail and be able to write about that. Right, you could you could accurately chronicle your life in that kind of detail. I don't know that a human could start off with "This is my story," and then share in great detail from a first-person perspective all the conversations 
that happened in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so many people, like if you pick up any random memoir and people are writing conversations as if that's like exactly the way it was verbatim. And you don't know that. Like, well, I'm sure what we do know, what we do know is that our memory is faulty. Right. And also that, that speaks to another point, which is, is your memory sharper because your brain was mapped and you've got instant access to memories that maybe you otherwise would have to fish for or the pathways to those memories aren't aren't solid or easy to get to. Right. It Does your digital self have the same fuzzy memories or is there clarity wherein as a human, as a regular person, there would be fuzziness or difficulty to get to. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. Those are, that's a good question though. So, so I, I think you could argue that yes, the book was written after the fact. By digital participle. Right. Sure. So the only thing that, because I keep going back and forth on this, it's when you read the prologue or chapter zero, 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 whatever, I forget what it was called now, the first mm-hmm. book, it, it reads like he's writing a memoir to set the record straight. Right. So if why would he write that if they're on their ship on the arcade on the Vonnegut? Well, and moreover, we pick up what a month after the first book ends? Where would he have had yeah, the well, time where that, would he yeah, have had the I'm time talking, to write? I'm talking about the first book though. Well, okay. Because he's in the first book, he talks about, what does he say? About trying to, somebody, he find, somebody finally finds the copper key, that kid was me, and dozens of books, cartoons, movies, and miniseries have attempted to tell the story of everything that happened next, but every single one of them got it wrong. Right. So I want to set the record straight once and for all. So every time I would go back to this part of the first book, I'd be like, well, who's the intended audience for this, right? Obviously, it's going to be people that are kind of living in the now. Oh, man, they've all been watching and reading all this crap, and it's all wrong. Let me set the record straight. But then I thought about it a different way, is that they brought the entirety of human civilization's products, like all the entertainment and knowledge and whatever. Mm -hmm. So part of that knowledge includes the contest. Oh, I get it. So you'd be able to access everything about that was written about you. You couldn't say it was all wrong if you hadn't consumed it all. But, you know, if they're, if they've now shared the human experience, including the holidays contest with whatever civilizations they run into, then they're going to, they're going to have the same filtered view. Whereas he can say, no, 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 no. Here's what actually happened. Right. So well, then it brings back the whole idea, like maybe it could be Digital Parzival who wrote the first book. Well, and moreover, the second book picks up not long after the first book. He didn't write this between that period of time. It's too short. Yeah. And we immediately jump into the action in this book. And this book doesn't say that he went to, the, that he was writing. Right. It's It's his, him basically getting up and talking about building the space station and tending to business. And all of that stuff. So it doesn't seem like there would have been time either to consume all the material about that had been written about him or for him to write his memoir. So it totally would make sense that that would be written after this book. 
after the second book. That's an interesting perspective to, to well, come to. Well, moreover, that it was authored by Digital Parzival. Sure. Yeah. Because that that person could instantly consume all that material and be like, oh, man, they really bunked it. Yeah. Let me set the record straight. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could see now, that. Now, granted, I don't know who and what alien civilization is going to give a shit about the contest, but you never know. Well, or um, if there's so many people already creating wrong material about what happened and you're just trying to set the record straight, then there's people interested. Yeah. And after this situation where everybody's trapped in the oasis and then all this shit goes down and he saves the world, basically, there's probably a renewed interest in him to begin with. And frankly, he could be bored as a DPC. <laughs> so fuck it, I'll write a book. Yeah. They won't make any money because there's no money in this universe. Yeah, yeah. It would be purely informational and you just zap that shit back home. So, yeah, I could see oh, that. Now, see, now there, there's something that just... This, yeah, here, I want to upload a digital consciousness, have that version of me write all these books, and then email them back to me so that I can make some coin over here. You're making a slave digital consciousness to write your material? Am I hearing that? Am I hearing that right? Because you could just write it in a matter of minutes. Maybe less. That's why you have your digital self do it. Well, you are... what? Are you saying making a copy of you as a digital self? Like, like two like, versions of you? As in like Earth Z. Oh, I see. And Arcadia Z. Earth Z. Could you handle that for me in Arcadia Z? Yeah, sure. I, I want to write the next the next Lord of the Rings level series of books. Could you get on that? Could you knock that out and for it, me? Because I know you're going to do it exactly how I want it to be. Yeah. Because like, you're me. And then he's be like, yeah, sure. Oh, wait, here it is. Expect it into the next data dump. All I'm saying is, like, like that's where the power is, is that if you can have content created as if you wrote it, ready in an instant, man, that's some power right there. Yeah, so the killer part here is you can do that now. What? Yeah, absolutely. If I wanted to write a book, I could do it completely AI-driven. With a little bit of guidance, but not a lot. But how much of that can you say is from you? I feel like we're getting away from the book. The book is inspiring the technology conversation. So how much of that would be you? Because, if, it, because if I were to write a novel, like as, a, as myself, mm -hmm. they, they often say like the first book you ever write is is about what you write about what you know. So it's mm -hmm. based on what you've experienced, probably with some, a lot of fibbing and whatever. But the AI doesn't know what you've experienced. No, but the AI can speak to subjects that are common. The AI can be instructed to take up a character position and be instructed as to the temperament of those characters and how they would respond or the relationship between characters, it can make all that shit up. All you have to do is instruct it. This is a love story between a vampire and a, a farm girl set in the 1800s. And it starts off with, it was a dark and stormy night. And it will just take off and Where begin writing. This? This sounds like fun. Oh, it's super cool, dude. 
but it will just take off. Now, does it always make sense? Sometimes it's a little weird, a little awkward, but you you could modify that. And then you can tell it, okay, keep going. I've modified it. Keep going. And it'll continue to write based on the last shit. And and I, it it sounds weird, but while it is creating this story and you're kind of slightly guiding it in this narrative, it's almost like when you go and you type in something and the engine is is trying to predict the next word or the next yeah. set of words that you might use. Yeah, that's a pretty good job. It's the same kind of concept, but taken to the nth degree. 60,000 words. <laughs> yeah, you, you could absolutely do it. It is no secret that this book, the sequel, didn't exactly rub us the same way. It's hard. Man, it is hard to capture lightning in a bottle. And I feel for any author who is in a situation wherein they have to follow up behind a really good book. And this wasn't a bad story. Like, you can pick anything apart. And I think it's easy to get hung up on the shit that you don't like. But these last several chapters were great. They were, in yes. my mind, the best part of this book. And really very similar to the first book where the last few chapters really brought it home. But it, it was like climbing Mount Everest to get here. Well, it's you're not exploring the backstory. Now, now where else do you go with a character? Like it, when the first book ends happily ever after, it's it's when you have that second book, you have to say, well, happily ever after doesn't last forever. In fact, maybe right? only a week. Maybe only a week. <laughs> and there has to be challenges. There has to be room for more growth, which means you have to set up the character in a different light to grow further than they did in the first book to keep it interesting. It's hard. I get it. I sympathize. So, like, the first book for me was like a nine. Solid nine. The second book was like a solid seven and a half. There's a lot right. of shit that I picked apart, but I, I didn't hate the book. I thought it was a decent sequel, given what we had to go with. Uh, and I really enjoyed the way it ended. So what would what would you say was your favorite part of the book? Favorite thing about the book? And what was your, your least favorite thing about the book? Oh. On a whole, my favorite part was like these last few chapters finally really taking up figuring out how we how are we bringing down the god of the oasis because that's that's the challenge right sorrento's a fucking human being he a human beings can be taken down how do you take down a a digital god from the inside on their turf who's taken by the way from the beginning all of the the godlike powers like that that's the challenge and the how do you make the threat bigger i think the mcu has this problem it's the it's the world's going to be destroyed the universe is going to be destroyed well, what's bigger than the universe the multiverse where else is there to go to make the audience feel like there's a threat that hasn't already been been bigger in a previous movie that's a challenge. And in this case, in this situation is everybody in the world could die. That's plugged into the ONI. That's pretty fucking big. Yeah. Right. It's not just a matter of, oh, well, the economy could suffer. Oh, people could starve. Now it's everyone's in fucking a coma. So it, it, it's a challenge. Parts that I didn't like. Well, uh, well, I guess what bothered you the most or 
if there was something about it you could change or something along that line. Because I'm just kind of curious. Like, Here's the thing is that there was a lot of focus on shit that I wasn't interested in. And that's me. I get it, right? Prince Land, the esoteric aspects of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's, that's really going to... That, that should have really dove deep with people who are neck deep in the, the geekdom or the nerddom of those subjects. There were just some subjects that carried on for chapters that just wouldn't fucking end. Yeah. But that speaks to just me not being interested in those topics to other people That's who fine. love that shit or love Prince, or love Lord of the Rings and really into it. They probably really took this to heart and felt like it was a three or four chapter love letter to the things that they were interested in. So, but for me, I just didn't have as many things that I could connect with. So I, I absolutely hear that. And I think part of the reason why this is one of my criticisms of the book is I feel like the challenges were so convoluted and detailed and required so much knowledge and like they, they were overcomplicated. So there was all this detail he had to explain, like, well, here's why all these things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. That it was just, it, it, it was, it was just, it was too much. Like it, the it first, felt like the, it felt like there was a lot of narration. The, the to first describe book, shit. there was a lot of references. In, uh, there was a lot of references in the first book that I didn't know before, mm -hmm. but you got just enough of a hint that's like, you know what? I want to explore that on my own. And you know what? We fucking did. Right. Whereas in this book, it's, you're going to get a crash course on all these things. And the thing is, it's like, oh my fucking God, I, like, I don't need to know this much about Prince. It's, it's so obscure. If I want to learn more about Prince, I can do that on my own. Like, but give me, give me the taste. Give me the... Give me a little bit of sizzle to make you want to cut into that steak. You know, it it was just like throwing stuff in my face at a at a quantity that was almost too much to consume. Yeah, it felt like lecturing. Yes, right. It, oh, it, I felt lectured for most of this book. Let me yeah, tell you. And it was it was it was usually one character was really digging something. And there's another character in the party that did not give a shit. Yeah, and, and I the, often oh. found myself being the character that knew the least. Right. And, and, and then and then the thing is, you have these characters that are saying like, oh, how, how, how could you, you not know not, this? How do you not and, know this? Yeah, I felt criticized. It, uh, yeah, I felt, like, I felt like, judgy. Felt judged. Exactly. So I, I never felt that way in the first book. In no, this no, one, no. it was kind of like, yeah, it just it, so, there was a lot of a lot of narration, but it was narrating to the aspects of these realms and worlds to the character that knew the least about it, and also that character was being shamed for not knowing enough. Exactly, and, and like H was the biggest dick about it. Yeah, and when you're reading through these these books, you're going to identify with. A character. You're either a you're either a character that's in the know, or you're a character that's not. And the character that's not is, ex is experiencing it anew. The character that's in the know is excited, geeking out about being in that experience. You're going to relate to one of those two. But when there's this kind of toxic relationship in between the characters who know and don't know, 
and you're the one that is on the receiving end of the don't know most of the time as the reader relating to the characters. Yeah, it it just feels like you're being fucking berated for not giving a damn about yeah. Prince or these other so, realms. Yeah. And and so I'll kind of go back to like my my I the the way I kind of describe my feelings towards the first book and the second book and why I loved the first book and why the first book really kind of struck a chord with me and why the second book just didn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of it was that Ernest Klein very clearly wrote the first book for himself mm -hmm. as a love letter to the pop culture that he grew up loving. He, it was a love letter to the eighties, right? Yeah. He, he was, he was Halliday. Yeah. You know, what we knew of Halliday and we were the characters learning to love what Halliday loved because and deep down inside, we're also Halliday. So, so that's what to me made the first book just like the, like I've never read another book as off as many times as I've read ready player one. There's right. it's not even close. Right. And what bothered me about, this book, the second book, was that I felt like there were times where it was written like an apology for the 80s. Or maybe an apology to the people who didn't get the first book. Or Yeah, or the people or that criticized the first book. Yeah. Like the people that said that it was sexist or homophobic or whatever, and just decided that, like, you know, what, I'm going to write in all this stuff to, so, or, to or show see that. That like that wasn't what I that that that's not what this is about, and that was part of what made me feel like I was being lectured about. It's like, so it to me like the motivation for parts of this book were were not coming from his heart, but more coming from external forces that made him need to justify. Or I mean, not justify. Justify is not the word, but. reconcile some of the things that he was being criticized for. Sure. I can see that. And like that, that's it's like, I mean, you, in my mind, he hit out of the fucking park with the first book. And I think we said it in, when we were talking about the, some of the leaks about the, the next book was that if it, if it felt like a continuation of the first book, I'd be fucking happy. Right. And while on paper, it was a continuation of the first book. It was not the first. It was not like it was just it. It didn't read that way. Right. Right. There, I've read, I've read a lot of series wherein the end is a cliffhanger and the beginning of the next book is is an introduction to the story to cleverly hook you in. But the fact of the matter is, is that you could easily hook the two together. And it just feels like you're continuing the story of that character and the characters in that. And that it's a progression of those characters over many books, not just growing and ending in one book and then having to grow and end in another book. It's hard because the first book, you relate to Halliday because you really appreciate and love all the things from your childhood. And here's a book that has characters that admire what you loved, what you grew up with. And it's kind of like your kids admiring you 
for for shit that you know otherwise was uncool a while ago. But in the second book, you're the villain now. You're the villain, right? You related to Halliday because Halliday loved all that shit, and then you go into this book realizing Halliday's gonna be the the villain. That's that's who I related to partially. Yeah. That and was oh, the value. By the way. All the things that I told you were amazing in the first book all suck, and here's why. Oh, yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden, a character that, I mean, I don't consider myself to be, quote-unquote, I'm real, reading the first book to be Halliday, but the shit that he liked and the shit that I liked were very similar across a number of things. And his idea of the main characters being really cool and exploring these things that I'm kind of like, fuck, I like, and I love the idea that they're exploring that shit. Like, it's, it's getting, it, it's them... It's me discovering what I like through them discovering it. It's like watching a movie the second time with somebody who's never seen it before. You get to experience it in a whole new way, and you love that they're loving it with you. And there's just that additional enjoyment of somebody else enjoying something that you love. And Halliday was that, right? That character you could relate to where everyone else was trying to enjoy something that he loved. And all of a sudden, you're now the villain. You move into this book, and you're the bad guy. However you look at it, you're the bad guy. There is no character that starts off great here. No character that starts off in a desirable position. You're left kind of like as an island, disconnected from all the characters. Because they are so undesirable at the beginning. H is off doing her own thing, and, and, and Z is basically wallowing in the depression of, of being rich and the world sucking. When Halliday is now, again, the villain, there's no character to relate to. No, uh, not really. And, and nothing that I, I really enjoy. That, that might have been the biggest downer, right? Is I just did not connect with any of the characters to enjoy the characters enjoying the story. And we, so, we didn't get strange. the problem solving, falling in line with the problem solving like we did the first book. Yeah. So there... And what, what happens I, when you when you when you reach a block, a creative block? It's really simple. Just outsource it. <laughs> Pay somebody else to do it. That that was the lesson learned here, right? So, I mean, overall, I mean, like, if if Ready Player One was a ten for me, which in many ways it is, I think just the amount of times I've read it, and boy, I, I have not read it since I finished Ready Player Two when it first came out. So, first thing I'm going to start doing. As soon as I got a chance to read a book again, mm-hmm. is I'm putting that shit on. I'm just gonna have another book boner. But I don't even know where I was going with this. But but uh, how how do you rate the second book then? How do I rate Ready the Player? Book? If Ready Player One's ten. Where are we with Ready Player Two with you? I mean, I think I think the la- level the level six the last few chapters of it helps. I think it saved it. Elevate the number. It it saved it from being an absolute z- like three. Mm. <sighs> that's it. That's the character I can relate to. Og, right? He's being tortured throughout the entire book, and then he comes back to life, and he's kicking ass for two pages. <laughs> for two pages, and it's beating the shit out of this character that was the vi- yeah, it, it, yeah. <laughs> For a couple chapters, a handful of chapters, yeah, I'm like, and, there we, I enjoyed it because that's the character I could relate to the most, and and that's what made me and, enjoy the book. And, and I also like really didn't like the idea of bringing back Nolan Sorrento. I just thought that was cliche. I, I, you couldn't have. I didn't mind. I, 
I thought it was a good twist. I mean, he didn't have the same role, but he was now he's in a again. I didn't have a problem with it. So I I got to be perfectly honest. I don't see myself reading this book ever again. Like on Goodreads, there's a a five-star rating system for books, right? Mm -hmm. And the way I kind of see it is if I give something a five-star rating, that means I'm probably most likely going to read it again. Four, maybe I might, but probably maybe not. It was just a book I really enjoyed. And just, three you know, is kind of like, eh, I got through it. Two is pretty darn bad. And one is maybe I stopped reading it because I just couldn't finish it. Mm. So Ready Player One is one of the few fives on that, on my Goodreads. Ready Player and One? or Ready Player, player One. Ready Player Two. Oh, Ready Player One is a five out of five. Got it. It's a five it. out of five. Right, it, right, is right. A, it is a five out of five stars for me mm-hmm. on on Goodreads. That's that's to me that's like a book that I would reread. Mm-hmm. And like The Martian is a five out of five for me. Yes, I totally you know? agree. Yeah. So like Ready Player Two. If I could do like I might give it two out of five stars. Well, and we have to wrap up. I would say to end this, I feel like I'm looking forward to the movie for Ready Player Two. I think this is a circumstance where I think the movie might be better than the book. And in that case, then I am really interested in continuing the story in movie form. Because Ready Player One as a movie, I believe was a great movie, was possibly the best way that the book could be turned into an hour and a half or two hour movie to capture as many references and hooks as you possibly could in that time and hook them all together with the shit that you just have to leave out. A lot of people didn't like the movie because it's just hard to live up to a five out of five stars, right? But in this situation, I think there's a ton of room to take the book and make it a better movie. I think that the trick to trying to even get to a place of liking the movie is just thinking of it as it is not going to be its the own book. thing. It is its own story. It is something in the Ready Player One universe, but it is not the book. Right. And if you can separate yourself from that, it's okay. Yeah. It was entertaining. But but the point is, I hope that the second movie is equally as diverse as the first one was, and that it that in doing so it becomes a movie that's better than the book. I mean, I think many people would argue that it has no place to go, but better. I I mean, I mean, I know you're giving it like nearly two and a half stars, so it could go down. I mean, I mean, think about it though. What bugged us a lot about the, about book two was the amount of time it spent on each of these challenges. You can't do that in a movie. No, they'd have to, they'd have to trim that shit down a bit. So I think I think in many ways, what you're describing is absolutely the correct way of thinking about the potential for a movie. Is I think that the movie is going to be great? It will be an improvement because it'll take away a lot of things that were just wrong about the book. Yeah, or that dragged on a bit, or focused too much on certain and things. What do you think about the possibility of Ready Player Zero? Like a prequel? A, pre- a prequel where it's more about the creation of the Oasis. 
I think he could do that book really well. As long as he doesn't write it with sensibilities of the year 2020, the, the, the 2020s. I mean, we like, already got a bunch of backstories. We we've already know what the backstory looks like. I mean, granted, there's a lot of gaps there, obviously, but I don't know. Maybe. I think it would be cool. It could, I would read it. I, I would read it. We would, I, we I would be like here it. again talking it. about we'd, it. We'd be here again talking about it. So I guess that's that's kind of a good segue to this is us wrapping up Ready Player Two. Yeah. Last chapter until that book or movie comes along. So, so okay. What are we going to do next? Ooh. Who knows? Take a little bit of time. I, I think uh, you've got kids to raise. Kids on the way. A lot of sure. lack of sleep coming up soon. Now, by the time this one goes to the air, I'm probably going to be a father of two. Mm. Oh, boy. It's that's awesome. scary. It's awesome, but exhausting to begin with, at least. But <sighs> all right. Well, then let's wrap it up then, man. If there's, I think we've kind of beat this horse. Yeah. Well, I want to say a quick thank you to everybody that's kind of stuck it out with us. Totally. As we read book two. If you were reading along with us slowly over the last two years and uh, we apologize for not wrapping it up sooner for dragging a book out over two years there's no way there's no way but yeah. uh, but no but you know we appreciate you for listening and um yeah and to all of our patreon supporters we certainly appreciate you guys for the the support there literally keeping the lights on for the website and uh, all the other services that yeah you, that requires money to put but... it together this shit's not cheap. No, no. Even even when it is cheap, it's not cheap. Yeah. So, so hats off to you guys. Huge thank you. And as far as what's next, uh, well, keep an eye on our Facebook page and we'll keep you posted. Totally right? figured out. But until then, signing off, this is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we will catch you in the next book or movie. Or whatever. Of Ready Player question mark. Thank you all. We'll catch you then. See ya. Do 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 do